As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. A strange spiralling white light was spotted in the early morning sky over Sydney with even sceptical witnesses wondering if it was a UFO. They were last seen on the beach with a tall man and that's the best description police have ever had of him. More than 17 years after Harold Holt disappeared into raging surf at Cheviot Beach, his widow has finally revealed his last romantic words. Shocking, terrifying, mesmerising. That's the way a number of Australians have described their alleged encounter with the Yowie. It's time for the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. Welcome to the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. It's episode 119. I'm your host, Matthew Soule, and joining me is fellow co-host and researcher extraordinaire, Holly Soule. Hey, everyone. How you doing, Holly? I'm all right. You know what today is? First day of spring. It is. It's also book release day. It is. Now, we, of course, have been... We record into the future, you see. So, for us... Today is the 1st of September, but for you, it is most likely going it's to be- It's the 15th. It's the 15th of yeah. September. Yeah. So, we've just released our book, uh, sold the first 13 copies of it, which is more than I have ever sold as far as books <laughs> go, as I've only ever written and released one. Um, so, I'm pretty happy about that, as long as 13 people enjoy the book. Uh, but that's only in the first couple of hours. So, if you are keen for Weedcraft in Australia Volume 1, you can now purchase it from lulu.com for a physical edition. That includes all four parts. And you can also order the book through Amazon, but that's digital only. So, you need the Kindle app to do that. You download it to the Kindle. And we have uh, separated it into four parts as well as the deluxe edition, which is exactly the same as the physical edition. So, for example, if you only want the UFO part, you can get the UFO part. But if you want all of them, you can get the deluxe collection digitally, which is all of the parts. But if you buy it physically, I'm sorry to tell you, you're going to get the whole shebang, which is pretty good value for money, actually, because what did it turn out to be? 513 pages long, my, including the reference list. My goodness. And the reference list is like 10 pages of that. Wow. So, we, you should have stopped us. We went, we went too far. We went too far. Hey, at um, least I acknowledge everybody that I stole shit from. <laughs> now, what's really good, too, is that uh, I am now over halfway through my contributions to the second volume. So, if you're like me and you love collectible sets and things like that, we're planning to release a book a year now at yeah. this point. Basically, we're going to set it as September 1st will be book release date from now yeah. on. Yeah. So and that uh, way everybody can remember when it is, <laughs> including <laughs> me. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and as I said before, as a special bonus to people who are buying the physical edition, please shoot an email through to weirdcrapinaustralia.com 
at gmail.com. We will shoot you across a sticker with our signatures that you can put inside the book. Which I have to order this morning because I haven't done that yet. You're not. It's so naughty. (laughs) I was busy formatting the print version till four o'clock this morning. And why were you busy doing that? Because Because you left things to the last minute. I'm really shit with deadlines. Just to put things into context, I finished submitting- Holly had eight months to do this and she was up until <laughs> 4 a.m. the day before release. So, so last year when I started writing the book, because for me, the writing process for me takes about three months. So I do about, about two hours, five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I take the weekend off to sort of not be writing. So it takes me about three months to do my side of it. Then I hand it off to you. Now, I got you Weird Crap in Australia, Volume 1. I think it was, when was it? Around I can actually check this on my phone. November? (laughs) I can actually check this on my computer. Hang on a second. Uh, April. No? No, it was almost September last year. (laughs) Right. So, I gave it to you nearly a year out from release date, and you were still crunching it last night till 4 a.m. Yeah. Well, every artist knows that you're never satisfied even once it's out in the world. And there are some things I'm looking at and going, I could do better than that. I, I could do different section headers above the chapters and I could do all different things. Which is, from, in my opinion, is actually a, a very- po- No, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, what you're basically saying is that you want to make sure the best possible product that we can get to our listeners is out there. And I think that's great. Yeah, but I the, think your time hill. management- you, you to the peak and then yeah. by then you just start fucking it up. <laughs> your, your time- Well, yeah, look at George Lucas and the Star Wars trilogy. But I will admit your time management is pretty shit. But it's also well of me to admit that you're also researching a podcast every week. I was also break, up till so. 4am because I fucked the formatting so bad that I had to exit out of Word and reload mm. it and start again. Well, we're also playing video <laughs> games too. Yeah, I stopped playing video games and I was just formatting yeah. and I was just AFKing it. <laughs> so, and that is the little mini podcast at the start of the real podcast on how books are made, <laughs> Matthew and Holly world. style. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you are buying the physical edition, please shoot us through an email to weirdcrapinaustralia at gmail.com with your postal address and we will shoot you out a signature sticker that you can place inside the book free of charge. It's just a thank you to the people who are purchasing the physical copy of Weird Crap in Australia Volume 1. Are we going to put an end date on that, like valid till the end of the year or something? Well, once it starts, well, I don't know. It depends on how much the stickers okay. cost. If you want to buy it for Christmas, I suggest you buy it before December 31st because we're not going to send out book plates after December 31st. That's You've now you got three months. There you go. You got three. Four, including the whole of September. Four months worth of days for you to send us an email saying we want a sticker. Yep. There you go. If you want our autograph in your book. Um, also, if you happen to live in the Queanbeyan City or Canberra region and you do buy a copy of the book, let us know via email where we can meet you so that we can sign it for you in person. Which will make it a special, special edition yeah. because coronavirus means that we can't travel. Yeah, we'll probably pick a little venue somewhere and uh, you can come and meet us and, and we'll organise some signatures and stuff. Um, so, let us know if you are living in our area and you'd like to um, you'd like to meet us in person for a signature. Anyway, time to move on. That's enough plugging. That's enough shilling for me. Cause That's our excitement. I blame Blake. Blake always goes, <laughs> plug more, plug more. I need shirts. Um, I need shirts. <laughs> no, no, he's got a shirt. Now he needs like a jumper. 
but we're coming into summer, so I think that's like less of a priority. Now. I need shorts. I need shorts. <laughs> no, that's not fair. Blake doesn't ask us to plug things. He just he just tells me to mute my phone, which I often forget to do. But he edits out, so you never hear it. So it's all good. It's just anyway, him, him reading it going. I am vengeance like fucking Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> so it's time to do another animal episode, which are Holly's personal favourites. She loves her animal episodes. Well, we haven't done an animal profile in a while. No, we didn't. The last one we did was the Tasmanian Devil, I mm-hmm, want to say. Which was in like the 60s, I want to say. I just finished writing the chapter on yeah. it in volume two. So, so it's, yeah, it's we haven't done an animal for a while. Except for the dinosaurs, but that's a whole different realm yeah. of stuff. Now, a lot of people are calling for like, hey, you know, we want to know all about kangaroos. We will get to kangaroos, but that's going to be a big I mean, one. We've we've semi done that, like with the kickboxing kangaroo. We I did, did a do a bit, profile yeah. at the start. I might revisit it and revamp it. Yeah. But we, if you need something to hold you over, go back and listen to the yeah, kickboxing. If you're, if you're into kangaroos, that's episode. 12. Wow. That was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a very long time ago. So we're going to be talking about one of the apex predators in Australia. Um, which is kind of funny when we discuss apex predators because we kind of start really big. So you got the great white shark, mm-hmm. right? Then you've got the crocodile. What some, one of the biggest land reptiles on the planet is is the Australian saltwater crocodile. I think it is the biggest. Could be. I mean, I don't know because the South African crocodile also gets very, very big. Mm-hmm. It's one of them. It's going to be one of them. Then there's a big drop down to this guy. Now, <laughs> I'm I'm going to... Well, you ruined it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to play a clip and be like, hey, everyone, guess the clip. So, just pretend Holly didn't say dingo. <laughs> hey, edit. <laughs> hey, edit it. Just, like, fix this for us. But, yeah, we, we, today we are talking about Australia's first invaders, uh, and that is the dingo. It's an interesting species because to this day it continues to court controversy uh, from legislators. Uh, there are advocacy groups who not only have to fight to protect the species, but they also have to fight for the recognition of the species. It is a very, very unusual situation. It's an animal that's constantly plagued by controversy. And if you've never heard what a dingo sounds like, this is a dingo conversation. Someone put that animal down for God's sake. I'd like to point out that this was 100% filmed in the outback, which because means you can you've hear got the, the fucking buzzing blowflies. Of flies. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Australia. <laughs> soon as we hit summer here in Australia, we are inundated with flies. We got the first blowfly at work this weekend. Ugh. So look forward to that, Australia. But yes, that is the howling of the dingo as it communicates out in the outback. Yes. So, what is the shorthand for Australia on the international stage? Now, I'm not talking about bogans boozing it up in Bali. What is the thing where you turn on a talk show and if they're referencing Australia, it nine times out of ten comes up? Well, there was some news out in Australia today, and we all know about Australians. You know, they can't keep their dingoes away from those babies. I'm a US talk show host guy. Yeah, it's some form of a dingo ate my baby. I can't do her accent. <laughs> Unlike most of what You can't do an Australian accent? No. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I can't do Lindy Chamberlain's very specific accent. Fair enough. I, don't th- I, I haven't heard enough clips of her. No, um, you really only ever get the one clip. <laughs> yeah, which is something that uh, we obviously, we cover the death of Azaria Chamberlain in Weird Crap in Australia, Volume 1, and we've also done a podcast on it. 15. Uh, episode 15. And I have said both in the book and on the podcast that that joke is in very, very poor taste because most people don't understand the context of a baby being snatched by an an animal and eaten. And it's not funny. It's never really been funny. And I've addressed in both the book and in the podcast uh, that the constant use of that joke is in very, very poor taste. It always has been. Shit needs to stop. Mm, it really does. Anyway, back to it. I will stop uh, being didactic. Unlike most of what's thought of as Australian animals, the dingo is not actually specifically Australian. It didn't evolve here, but came across the seas, now possibly on some driftlord alongside a small camel. Uh, any Terry Pratchett fans will get that joke. The I'm oldest- like, what? Because <laughs> I was about to go on okay. a big spiel about <laughs> land bridges and uh, Aboriginal ancestry and human travel, and you're like... <laughs> Yeah, a There's d- a joke in The Last Continent where the only things that ever arrive on XXXX arrive on a bit of driftwood and there's usually a very small camel on the driftwood with them. Okay, right. Fair <laughs> enough. The oldest fossil from the dingo family we have is only 3,450 34, years old. Now, that's only as old as the destruction of Knossos or the capture of Palestine by the Egyptians in Europe. So it's not even old enough to predate Egypt. Um, the earliest dingo fossil is only 200 years older than the written Greek language. Hmm. So what you're saying then, mm-hmm. right, if the dingo spe- as a species doesn't predate uh, Egypt, so the aliens oh, that helped build off. the pyramids no. brought the dingoes with them? No, because they actually have a fossil trail they can trace back to Europe. Okay, so the aliens they that built the walked. pyramids had nothing to do with it. No, the dogs just walked. But you do admit that aliens built the pyramids. No, fuck off with your shit. <laughs> The first dogs recorded with humans on the Australian surface came from Dutch nationals in 1623. Now, that's not long before the Batavia landed on the Western Edge. See, last week's horrific episode. (laughs) Jan Castanez was commissioned by the Dutch East India Company to look towards the southern New Guinea coast 
following reports of land found there in 1606, and that's where he stumbled across the landmass of Australia. By stumbled across, I mean for white people. By 1699, William Dampier, an English explorer slash pirate, arrived on the coast of Western Australia and recorded an interaction with the dingo, as well as a few other animals of the area. There are but few land animals. I saw some lizards, and my men saw two or three beasts like hungry wolves, lean like so many skeletons, being nothing but skin and bones. It is probable that it was the foot of one of those beasts that I mentioned as seen by us in New Holland. We saw a raccoon or two, and one small speckled snake. What? What's he fucking talking about? <laughs> Raccoons? Possums, maybe? Well, that's my next paragraph. I don't know what he meant by raccoon, raccoon. maybe possums or quolls. Yeah. I mean, it could be anything, couldn't it, really? <laughs> They're like, that's a cat-like thing. That's a raccoon, I guess. My guess would be he was, maybe he was talking about koalas. Mm, no, because they don't have the markings. Have to be possums. It would have to be like ringtails or yeah. spotted quolls. It have would to, have to be one or the two. Have to be a possum. But yeah, he's like, there is absolutely nothing living on this land. And then the English who rocked up on the other side of the continent is like, hey, look at all this shit here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, when, uh, when the Dutch arrived, they were like, wow, this is the most barren piece of nothing I've ever seen. And the English are like, we found all the good bits. <laughs> we got the good bit. <laughs> as Australia, or as it was known then, New Holland, grew in popularity as an exploratory destination more people mention seeing the dingo on the mainland, sometimes in the company of humans. Cook wrote, Cook wrote, Captain Cook, one of the people who this circumnavigated <laughs> Australia. Cook, Not technically, he just ran down the East Coast, but yeah, okay, keep going. Well, there you go. Thank you for pulling me up on that because Facebook definitely would have. <laughs> okay, Cook wrote, Tame animals, they have none but dogs, and of these we saw but one, and therefore must be scarce. Probably they eat them faster than they breed them, because I'm a pompous English hat. He didn't say that, I'm adding that in there. We should not have seen this one had not made us frequent visits while we lay in Endeavour River. Now, it is very, very, very unlikely that Aboriginal tribes ate dingoes, so there's absolutely no real... Just as there's absolutely no real proof that they ate Tasmanian devils. The white well, man did when they rocked up, though. Uh, actually, to counterpoint you on this one with the Tasmanian devils, in your Tasmanian devil episode, you actually said that more often than not, Aboriginal uh, hunters were actually found with necklaces but made of bones a difference from the between, Tasmanian devil, and they were said to taste quite nice finding a carcass and going, hey, that looks cool, and actually catching and eating them. I'm just quoting Holly Soul. She does this podcast this. called Weird Crap in Australia. Shut the fuck up. She did a podcast where she talked about Aboriginal people and why Australians eating Tasmanian devils. But you'll notice that I did Tasmanian not say devils. that they ate them. It just said they were found with the necklaces. There's a whole load of difference between, hey, I found these cool-looking teeth on the ground or this carcass looked cool and someone decided that they were a teenager and they decided to decorate themselves with it. All I know and is- eating the animal. All I know is this week, Facebook is not coming after me. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you just read a horribly racist quote. They are so coming after you. <laughs> hey, I read a quote. <laughs> that doesn't mean that I said the quote. I read the quote out loud. Don't try and deflect. You're the one who's that. What what I want everyone to do now is go back and listen to the Blake Tasmanian Devil episode, 
or even if Blake finds the clip, listen to the Tasmanian Devil episode and then quote Holly back at, uh, at Holly and see if she can argue with herself. I guarantee she can. No, what will happen here is Blake will just record himself going, and here's the clip, and then he'll just insert it. <laughs> they ask, so for those curious, here's the clip. Uh, on January 14, 1970, at Lake Nitchie in western New South Wales, a male human skeleton was actually found wearing a necklace of 178 Tasmanian devil teeth. Jesus. The only necklace of its kind ever found, um, and it came from about 79 different Tasmanian devils. Uh, the skeleton was estimated to be 7,000 years old, and the necklace was believed to be older than the skeleton, you know, being an heirloom passed down by different people. Uh, the f- Few remains of devils have been found around or near human campsites on the mainland as well as on Tasmania, so we do know that it was spread across Australia at some point or another, but similar to the thylacine, it eventually just died out. Convicts fresh to Hobart, however, quickly hunted the devils down and tried them over a campfire, because if there's one thing that humans hold true no matter where they go is if you can see it, try and fucking eat it. (laughs) And that was from episode 72, Tasmanian Devil. (laughs) Back to you. By 1788, the appearance of the dingo no longer puzzled explorers. Australia's first colonial governor, Arthur Phillip, actually claimed one as a pet when they landed in Sydney. The only domestic animal they have is the dog, which in their language is called dingo. And a good deal resembles the fox dog of England. These animals are equally shy of us and attached to the natives. One of them is now in possession of the governor and terribly well reconciled to his new master, as most canines do. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's talking about the fox dog, is he actually talking about foxes or is he talking about fox dogs hound. that hunt? But a foxhound doesn't quite doesn't look like a dingo, does it, or does it? Because when I know. when I think the closest thing to a dingo that I think of is like your um, your red healer, which is a qu- uh, sort of a cross between Kelpies a dingo. Kelpies are actually closer, right? Which are very very slim line sheep. Because I always thought like they had um, when they went on the big fox hunts, they had hounds. I'm just going to well, question okay. every quote. This will slow us right the fuck I down. Go- I googled <laughs> it. The English fox hound actually basically looks like a taller, leaner, stronger looking beagle. So that looks nothing like a nothing fucking dingo. Like, so I don't know why they think a dingo looks like a fox hound. Maybe it's more like a fox slash hound and this slash has been knocked out of the quote. But either way. Now, if, <laughs> if you've never seen a dingo whatsoever, stop listening to the podcast and just Google, just Google dingo it. and you'll see it. Um, I, I, you could probably do both now. Phones are that great. <laughs> but a dingo is it, it's a decent sized dog, about what, you'd say medium size? Well, I will little, go into it. It is yeah. a medium-sized dog. Yeah, a little bit smaller than a German Shepherd, but a little, lots, very lean. Top wild weight is about 15 kilos. Yeah. Um, now, this wasn't Europeans' only interaction with the animal, however. According to Philip, locals occasionally set their dingoes on the arriving populations as they travelled. On one such occasion, the European put up with the dog chewing at his heels for a while, but eventually grew tired of it yapping at him, so he shot it. Now, the Aboriginal people, of course, understandably bolted. As you would. When they fucking shot my dog, I'm out of here, man. It's based on this single paragraph of information that the dingo was named and classified by Europeans. The Canis familiar or Canis dingo, depending on which way you want to label it. Part of Canis, of course, being the canine family. I think it's Canis, like canine Canis, but yeah. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The dingo is really the only predator in Australia with the ability to keep the native and some feral populations under control. The dingo is a dog of medium size, which is about the size of a Dalmatian, which is a dog that more people would be familiar with. Unlike most animals, captive dingoes are usually larger and heavier than their wild counterparts, not counting when they put on fat, as they have access to good food and healthcare. So what, in the right circumstances, it can become a much more a bigger built dog. dog. Yeah, a That's much inter- bigger dog. It's interesting because you usually think of uh, evolution and domestication of species that it goes in the opposite where you have the softer and the, the pudgier and the yeah, they get smaller, they get more, you know, fucked up. <laughs> well, yeah, look, some, I'm not even going to go into the dog breeding trades, but it is interesting that, uh, under like human care, the dingoes become a more powerful predator. Yeah. They go from about 15 kilos. They can hit 17 to 18 kilos. It's so a heavy, that's a heavy dog. If it charges at you and hits you, it's going to fucking break something. I've in the last, three months lost 16 uh, sorry nearly 18 kilos so now. you've lost a whole dingo i've lost a dingo <laughs> see i've lost a talia and you've lost a dingo <laughs> hey if you'd like to join the australian matthew weird crap in australia weight loss program we'll help lo- you lose your dingo <laughs> this is bob hey bob how many dingoes have you lost mate oh i lost Couple two pups. i lost two and a half dingoes mate i love the program <laughs> i'm sorry we went full australian there that's our, full Australian. that's our native speaking for um, white bogan Australian. Hey, Rob, how's it going, buddy? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Yeah, pretty nah, good. mate, we're good. Yeah, nah, mate, a bit mad, mate. Mate, it's hot out there and it makes me madder Fucking than ever. Fucking flies, as, mate. This is driving we're everyone going, nuts. We're moving on Sorry, now. we're moving on. We're just so happy about the book being released. Dingoes rarely carry excess fat and which you wouldn't want to do in some of Australia's climates anyway because fat equals heat retention equals desert equals death. Um, and most wild dingoes generally have exposed ribs like a greyhound. So if you're like my grandfather, you think that greyhounds shouldn't have exposed ribs and you feed them Maltesers and Arnott's biscuits as a fucking mainstay of their diet, they're not going to – you're not going to have the proper shape. For a dingo to be healthy – parents should not have pets. For a dingo to be healthy, they, you have to see their ribs. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. They're just a lean dog. Yeah. Dingoes from the north or northwest of the continent are generally larger than their southern kin, which may be an indication that those in the south can't access the same food stores. It's also an indication that the smaller northerners were probably picked off by crocodiles as they were fi- drinking at the waterholes. That's my little joke. <laughs> a defining feature of the dingo is its head. Now, its skull is shaped closer to that of a jackal than a wolf or a coyote. 
and is generally the widest part of the animal with a very triangular shape. Even with hybridization with domestic dogs post-colonization, the dingo's skull has not changed since it arrived in Australia, and it seems to be a dominant gene. So you can't really breed the big head out of a dingo. Yeah, that's why when a lot of people come up to you and say, oh, like this dog has a bit of dingo in it, if they know what they're talking about, it's usually because they've identified the, the, the head, head the, the facial structure, and been like, yeah, this this dog does have a bit of dingo in it. A lot of Australian mongrels, uh, which is, you know, basically bits of dogs, they generally come across a fair bit of dingo too. Most of them are more feral dogs than they are dingoes, however. That's correct. And yeah. there is you a got, very big difference. You got less and less. And, uh, yeah, you got less and less dingo in, in ferals, but it does happen. Yeah. As a result of this larger, more robust skull, the dingo has a bigger brain than other dogs of its size, closer to that of a wolf in this fashion. Makes it smarter mm-hmm. and it also makes it more of a pack animal as yep. opposed to, I mean, all dogs generally are pack animals but a pack of dingoes closely resembles a pack of wolves. Not a pack of German shepherds. Exactly. The dingo's coat is distinctive in that it is a mix of ginger and white as typical, with black and tan or a creamy white variation known. Only 2% of dingoes are solid white, not counting albinoism, and 1% are solid black. If you ever want to look at some of the different variations on dingoes, uh, one of the charities that we've supported in the past is a group called Dingo Dingo Den. Den. Uh, We'll probably mention them at the end of the podcast as well. If you're interested, you can go donate to their cause. Um, I follow them. We follow them on Instagram uh, because we did a very small amount of back and forth when we were helping them raise money because- uh, bushfires. Yeah, the bushfires destroyed one of the habitats that they built. Yeah. And they had to like evacuate the all their, their dingoes. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they've now, they raised enough money to rebuild, haven't they? Yes. Yes, which is awesome. And then we crap and Australia fans helped make that happen. So you yes, guys are awesome. Now, when it comes to uh, all these beautiful photos that they post, it was the first time that I'd seen some of the variants because I was like, oh, they must be taking halfsies and- Half Kelpies or half cattles or But yeah, like they have full blood uh, white and black dingoes as well. Yeah. And they're so cute. I know. I love looking at the puppy (laughs) Especially the puppies. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I want to adopt one, but we can't because we don't have room for him. No. Now, the ginger variety covers 74% of the dingo population, which is why most people think that that's the only colour, with ginger being an actual dominant gene in the species. So unlike humans, where ginger is recessive, you know, your beard, my hair, in dingoes, you are more likely to get a ginger and ginger will outbreed black. Mm. That's because when I think of dingoes, I always think of the ginger ginger ones. Yeah, Yeah, the ginger and white ones. Most dingoes have white socks and a white chest and on the very tip of its tail, a little white marker. What do you mean by socks? Socks, literally, it means like if you look at a dog's paw as a hand, it will cover from toe to ankle or wrist or whatever you want to call it. It's the reason I point that out. I know what it is, but the reason Horses I point that out. Socks. Yeah, it's because it's a breeding term. Like when you say the socks of an animal, you're talking about their feet. Um, we've got a, a lovely little, little cat here called Joker that you occasionally hear while He's we're trying to record. He's got half gloves. He does. <laughs> He's got little half, uh, half socks. Um, some dingoes don't even have the white tips on their tails, depending on, you know, breeding and how it ended up. While its coat is generally thin when found in the northern ranges, as you travel south, the dingo actually grows a thicker secondary coat beneath it, which is actually a very dark timber wolf grey colour. 
So if you were to shave a southern dingo, you'd actually end up with a grey dingo before you got your ginger back. Hmm, that's interesting. Dingos- don't go shaving dingoes. <laughs> no, don't- One, you'll get bit. Not a good thing. Dingoes typically live three to five years in the wild with a very few passing eight years in age. In captivity, however, they can live for 14 to 16 years with one dingo alone recorded living to just under 20. This is a complete comparison to domestic dogs, which my grandmother had, I think, the chihuahua lived to be 22. Yeah, most domestic animals will... And it, it's it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same with, like, again, to bring up cats, a domestic cat. Domestic cat that is kept indoors and has proper medical treatment, you can get 20, 22 years out of that animal. Unless it's Talia. <laughs> Unless it's our cat, which is a whole <laughs> thing. Now, with... Uh, a cat that's let outside and it sort of, you know, will interact with other cats and expose itself to other dangers, your life expectancy actually decreases to 10 years. And it's pretty much the same for most wild animals because a wild animal does not have access to medical uh, treatment. It, it has to fight for its food. There's a whole... Infection and know, disease become a massive problem. Lack of water, lack of resources, bushfires. Predation. You know, there's a lot of stuff that, that can go wrong. of a dingo's diet consists of only 10 species across Australia. Now, you might be surprised at a couple of these. The red kangaroo, the swamp wallaby, cattle, rats, magpies, geese, brush-tailed possums, the agile wallaby, the rabbit, and the wombat. That's a lot of uh, animals that they're chewing through there. Yeah, it is. It's worth noting that- Cattle? Yeah. I suppose, yeah, a pack of dingoes could take down a cow pretty easily. It's worth noting that dingoes have been seen to hunt cattle, but they do not use these as a majority of their diet. Mm. They tend not to touch fresh cow carcasses, preferring to leave them until they are pretty much rotted away before feeding on them. And even then, when there are cattle carcasses around, they still prefer to take on kangaroos, like living bouncing kangaroos rather than the dead cow laying on the ground. That's interesting. Like They they generally don't attack a a living cow, they'll feed off a dead cow's carcass. If but they, they have pref- to. But they prefer to go after living the kangaroos. The kangaroo can quite easily eviscerate them, yes. Yeah, especially like the red kangaroo. That's your biggest species of kangaroo in Australia. Yeah, if you go on YouTube and do like kangaroo crushing tin. They're swole. <laughs> that's those They're guys. They're big guys, yeah. <laughs> I posted a picture of one not too long ago. and uh, was one just of lounging, the, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, one of the commentators was like, how the fuck are they so jacked? And they're, they're jacked. <laughs> Uh, because they are um, a, a massive species in the barks, the males, are fighters. They're, they're all fighters. They have to be fighters, so they have a very, very dense musculature. And they have very little fat on them too. Yeah. They they can kill a human. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what people- the, Kangaroos generally won't because they'll bounce away from you. They mm-hmm. don't like us. Uh, they're scared of us. They're very timid animals. But if you corner a male buck red kangaroo, it will tear you to pieces. It will kick and those talons will do damage. I've seen the damage it can do. I don't want to. And don't Google it. Yeah, if you Google uh, like uh, kangaroo scars, stuff like that, people have just been ripped to shreds by their feet. Because imagine like the thing about a kangaroo, it's like imagine getting kicked by 10 martial artists at the same time who also have- Knives on their feet. Knives on their feet. That gives you an idea of what getting kicked in the guts by a kangaroo does. Because they'll bounce back on their tail- And then just kick. And that will give them the full force. And then they will knock you with both feet, which are massive on the red kangaroo, and they will hit you straight in the chest. 
They're, 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 they're <laughs> they dangerous, are dangerous animals. animals. Yeah. That's why Australians, when they're hunting them, go out with rifles. <laughs> yeah, no sticks for us anymore. Dingoes do not appear motivated to kill sheep at all, as they can quite easily outrun them, and most sheep are very defenceless, making them easily killed. However, most of the time the dingoes simply loped along beside the sheep, then veered off to chase another one. They just fucking played sheep, with them. Sheep, 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 <laughs> sheep. Look at the thing running, sheep. I can go get the running. Of 68 studied sheep chases involving dingoes, only eight resulted in kills, and I'm pretty sure those eight were probably steep sheep getting trampled by other sheep. <laughs> The dingo uses its massive brain to outsmart its prey in many ways. Now, for dogs on Fraser Island, some of these were seen herding wallabies and echidnas into the surf in order to tire them out so they could quite easily pick them off. Imagine that, a bunch of dingoes just chasing a wallaby into the... the, Mm. uh, And then just sitting there and watching it drown. Yeah, it's... It's... Like, break that action apart. Um, Obviously, it's intelligence, but we're talking about group intelligence, working towards a common goal to achieve an outcome. You see this in wolves a lot, um, and it- that's why I think people underestimate the intelligence of animals a lot, Mm. and it really bugs the shit out of me. It's like you can teach a gorilla to do sign language and communicate to us. You can- you see dingoes hunting in a pack like that, weakening their enemy and then taking it out. Effectively Um, using tools because they're using the surf as a tool to achieve an end. I've seen the cat watch you open a sliding door and then a week later it can do it. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's the sort of thing. That's why, you know, I'm very much against cruelty to animals because I do think that there's um, not human intelligence, but there is intelligence, which Mm -hmm. also speaks to at the very least they have base feelings of comfort, like this feels good, this feels bad, don't do this Let's be honest, there are some humans that don't even have human intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I'll put it to you this way, there are a few dingoes I'd rather have than some of the people I've met in my life. Dingoes have also been spotted stealing kills from sea eagles and hawks. Now, in return, of course, said hawks and eagles occasionally take off with a dingo pup for dinner, maintaining the circle of life. Now, this happened, I think it was last year. A couple went out into their backyard and there was a puppy sitting there. Mm Mm-hmm. Just, just out of nowhere, just sitting there on the ground, um, obviously shaking. It was in shock. And they're like, um, well, okay, so it must have run into our backyard. So they did the, you know, they did the not right things, did a bit of door knocking, all that sort of stuff. No one claimed it. They put up posters. They're like, well, we'll take it down to the vet. We'll get him looked after. And the vet's like, yeah, you've got a dingo. And they're like, well, how the hell did a dingo end up in like suburban Melbourne? And they're like, well, it was probably being eaten by an eagle and the eagle accidentally dropped it. And that's how you ended up with a puppy in your backyard. I think they kept the dog. I think so too. It was either they kept it or sent it to a rescue home for dingoes. But yeah. (laughs) If you ever find a random puppy in your backyard, this is probably what it is. (laughs) Come to Australia. (laughs) (laughs) So you might get killed by a puppy landing on your fucking head. (laughs) You don't even you don't even like get dogs normally here. (laughs) The stalk is actually a delivery system. (laughs) Daddy, when am I going to get a dog? When the eagle dropped one in our backyard, <laughs> mate, you'll get one then. Okay. <laughs> you know, sitting there, there was sitting binoculars. In a little fishing net waiting. Dingoes breed once a year with the timing of the year depending on the conditions of the female faced and no actual season recognised, though this has since come into question. January to July is often cited as breeding season, which anyone paying attention will notice is seven months of the year, thus the majority. 
or March to May, April to June, depending on the part of Australia being selected. Dingoes start breeding at two years of age. Remember, their massive lifestyle is usually three to five years, so they get breeding a little bit late. Normal litter size can range anywhere from one to ten puppies, with the average being five. Probably three of those will be picked up by eagles and delivered to needy children. (laughs) We have kids who listen to these some of these episodes. I know, and I'm waiting for my sister to go, you promised my kids a fucking puppy. (laughs) Um, And we still swear on them, so I apologise for that. Uh, but now we've we've just created a generation of children who think they're ne- they're going to be sitting out in the backyard waiting Wait, every day for an eagle to deliver a, a puppy. An eagle to deliver a puppy. So, parents, I'm really sorry. I'm not. This is awesome. <laughs> but I do want to see photos of your kids holding nets in the backyard. <laughs> um, one statistic of the dingo that's really weird is that there are actually more males born than females. Most animals will birth more females because it means more reproduction. For some reason, more men, more male dingoes are born than females. Generally, only the members of a pack that successfully breed are the alpha pair, with the alpha female actively working to dissuade subordinates from mating. You and- over there having sex? You stop that. I don't approve of it. Now, here's a question, though. Mm. Uh, in recent history, the idea of an alpha male and alpha female when it comes to canid species is is being debunked by the people who actually started it in the first place. Now, do dingoes actually have an alpha and beta yeah, or un- is it more or is it part of that urban legend? Unlike wolves where you will actually get puppies out of a lot of different females, if a female in a dingo den basically uh, drops a litter and it's not the alpha, the alpha female will kill them. Oh, okay. So they have no real choice but to only let the alphas breed or their puppies are going bye-bye to needy children in backyards. It's the new off to the farm. <laughs> the dingo and the quoll live in harmony in their native areas. Well, the Quolls are fucking assholes. <laughs> a lot of Australian animals are fucking assholes. <laughs> right. Let's just put that disclaimer there. So, so a quoll, and we'll probably end up doing an episode on these guys one day. The next time you, I need an animal profile, yeah. quoll it will be. I'll tell you a qu- very quick thing about a quoll. Now, uh, quolls, are, they're, they're kind of like a cross between a wombat and a mouse because they have a very wombat-y sort of face. I'd say they a look more bit. like a ferret. No. You haven't seen a ferret in a long time. Ferret, it's no, like saw, long weasels. No, I saw a picture the other day. I had a friend who used to, uh, he had a ferret on a leash, used to walk it around. No, I reckon it looks more like a... Well, either way, you can go look. Now, Googling. quolls, what they will do, so a quoll... In order to avoid a predator, will throw its baby at the predator and run away. Well, you see, Matthew. They're the douchebags of the- you know, I can make another baby. I can't make another me. <laughs> so long, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Now I'm leaving you. So there you go, parents whose kids are now outside, like, netting around. If you ever get attacked by a serial killer- Throw your child at it and run away, just like the Australian quoll. Australian animals are fucked up. <laughs> they all had to survive in the harsh desert of the Australian continent. Of course, they're fucked up. <laughs> but you know what's ridiculous, though? These cute little fuzzy quolls. That was a will, cute, that was a cute yeah, baby. They'll launch their children at predators, right? But a crocodile will care and raise its young in its protective mouth. A, a crocodile is a better parent than a quoll. <laughs> Win for the reptiles? I guess so. 
The dingo and the quoll live in harmony in the native areas, while the dingo is known to chase off foxes and kill feral cats. Both are very positive things. Mm -hmm. In this way, they are actually Australia's answer to feral animals. Dingoes also have a small black mark on its record, however, in that the introduction of dingoes to an area usually drove out the thylacine population, leading to the marsupials' effective extinction on the mainland by the time the Europeans arrived. For more info on that, uh, that will be in the Weird Crap in Australia Volume 2 book when that comes out next year. But if you can't wait that long, just no, check no, out- I it's 32. <laughs> yeah, around episode. It's in the 30s. I usually say 32 and then find out it's 38. So it's one of those two. The dingo itself is closely related to the New Guinea singing dog, with their lineage splitting from modern dogs early on in the family tree, and is traceable up through the Malay archipelago and into Asia. Like I said, the aliens couldn't have dropped them off because there's a fossil record tracing all the way back to Europe. These two dogs split from the evolution of their lineages about 6300 BC, themselves separating at about 5800 before the dingoes decided to head south about 2,000 years later. Yeah, the the idea behind the introduction to Australia with the, the dingo population is, of course, as human populations were moving through land bridges, mm-hmm. they were coming across certain animal species and taking them with them. And in this case, it could be said... Either they took the dogs or the dogs just followed. Yeah. The idea is that the Aboriginal tribes, as they were moving across those land bridges until they would get to Australia as we know it, like Holly said, the dogs either followed them along because good source of food, cast-offs, all that sort of stuff, or they had started the domestication process with the dingo and the dingoes crossed into Australia with the Aboriginal population. And I will also point out that, of course, is counter to Aboriginal spiritual beliefs as they believe they have always been here. And I am merely talking from a scientific perspective perspective with a hypothesis. Just putting that out there before people start yelling at me. Around this era... All the time. Around this era, Australia did not look like Australia. Sea levels were lower thanks to the Earth's configuration, and Australia and New Guinea were connected in one big landmass called Sahul. The Sahul Shelf still exists today, it's just underwater. It's where the Torres Strait is at the very top of Australia. Thanks to this lower sea level, it's theorised that dingoes and possibly a wave of humans, either for trade or migration, crossed from New Guinea and took up residence in the southern lands. And that's what humans have done. Like the canine species has been our companion much longer than cats, for example. Like cats, the the real the the reason that humans and cats sort of started getting along was like I mean examples that I'll I'll actually bring some Egypt into this, and Holly will love that. Mm. Um, as you've told me, Holly, that uh, cats were great in Egypt because they protected grain stores, so Egyptians put up with them. Yeah. But did not it, love them, put up with them. Put up with them because every single cat was called a mao. Which was the Egyptian word for cat. What's your cat's name? Cat. However, <laughs> dogs in Egyptian culture were Charlie actually given and names. Roman and all this. Yeah. yeah. Which means that, you know, humans and dogs, our evolution as a species has been so intrinsically tied together uh, for such a long time. And it's no surprise to me that the populations that would become native Australians use dingoes in exactly the same way. And I mean, it was the dingoes who attacked the white settlers when they rocked up with their boats and were like, look at all these people. And they're like, fucking fuck you. And then their dogs attacked them and they're like, ah, fucking dogs, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, there's three different types of relationships between 
um, creatures. So you've got your parasite, your symbiote, and then there's the commensalist, which is basically we can live separate, but we choose to live together, mm. which is basically what humans have with cats. We have a commensalism <laughs> relationship. And that is coming from a cat owner who actually loves her cat. <laughs> we do not have a, a that it's sort of relationship. It's not a symbiotic relationship. Cats. It's not parasitic. <laughs> it's consumerism. I, uh, I think cats. Commensalism. I think cats just hang out with humans, but we really are looking after them. It's, we're the staff. <laughs> we're the-, the they're not even parasites. They're like a, a, a big fat guy on a um, on a throne being constantly fed and looked after and pampered. So that's the kind of relationship that dingoes and the local people had. They had a commensal relationship. So stronger together, but also live apart. Mm. So, yeah, it's a new word of the day for everybody. The dingo has traditionally been absent in Tasmania and throughout most of Victoria. The southern third of South Australia and a large part of Western Australia are all dingo-free as well. Now, its distribution and the fact that it is very prevalent in warmer, less treed areas of the continent indicate that the dingo is a warm-weather animal and finds it difficult to thrive in colder climates. Now, by the time the dingo made it to Australia, Tasmania and areas like Kangaroo Island had been separated from the mainland for almost 10,000 years, which is why you will not find a dingo fossil on Tasmania or Kangaroo Island. Because of this lineage, dingoes had developed their own form of vocalising, which we played earlier. In fact, we should have put it right here. Well, we can play it again if you want. We can. How about we do that again? We're just going to give you another taste of dingo. Just a little bit more taste of dingo. It's interesting because it ebbs and flows their vocalizations because it's sort of like it sounds it starts off as a sort of traditional like wolfish sort of howl but then it pitches up and then it, it comes back it's down. A, it's a mountain range whereas a wolf's will be like a, a roller coaster and then just drop. Yeah, it, it has that a very it has a peak and it, whereas yeah, the dingoes sort of it peaks and ebbs and flows, goes up and down, up and down. Now, the dingo has less bark and more howl to it. Um, and even when housed with domestic dogs, it's not possible to condition a dingo to bark like a dog with it retaining its more howl-like moans, <clears throat> howl-like moans, yaps, and snuffs. Its form of language is unique amongst the animal kingdom in this way. Much like this, the word dingo and its is very close to the Aboriginal equivalent credited to the Darug language based in the Sydney area. Now, they even had variants on the word, which we don't really use today, but is something that we can start. The name dingo is probably a European corruption of the word tingo. Same thing happened with the kangaroos, which we've talked about Gingaru. as well. Yeah, it's gingaroo, not kangaroo. Mm-hmm. Used by Aboriginal people at Port Jackson to describe camp dingoes. Other Aboriginal names for dingoes include the Warrigal, the Maliki, and the Wantanaberi. Wantabiri. I even spelled them out for you after the word. I, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, if we ever adopt a dingo, we're calling it the Wantabiri. <laughs> so Australian. Yep. I don't know why that hasn't taken off. A theory that the difference between camp dogs and wild dogs was only apparent after the local culture collapsed upon European settlement. The earliest documents of the dingo only depict camp dogs, never actually mentioning wild dingoes in the southeast until after the Europeans had roared through the area and destroyed most of the nations. 
Now, I don't think this theory itself will ever be settled, um, whether dingo just means camp dog or whether it means species or tingo, whichever way you want to go. But it is an interesting thing to think about. Since Europeans settled in Australia, they've set about forcing the dingo back across the continent, away from farms and out into the desert. The 5,614 kilometre dingo fence was built in the 1890s in an effort to keep the dingoes out of farmland, zigzagging its way from the Nullarbor Plains, the northwest corner of New South Wales, and to just the north of Brisbane. Below the fence, dingoes have been largely exterminated. However, while the fence was successful to a point, the dingo has since returned to the fertile southern lands through holes along the length as dingoes chased rabbits and kangaroos south. Tale as old as time, if you don't want an animal getting into your area, eliminate its food source. Unfortunately, we fucked up and there are rabbits everywhere, so the dingo will always be everywhere. Yeah. Um, again, it's disrespect for the, nati- the, the natural world. And this is one thing that the human race is fucking awful when it comes to what we do. And that is something exists naturally. And because it makes us uncomfortable, we kill it. I happen to love sharks. I think sharks are wonderful creatures. They're impressive. They're visually interesting. Someone gets attacked by a shark because we go into its home, so we kill them. I actually had this rant ready and prepped for the end of the episode, but go for it. You know, um, (laughs) uh, well, we'll save it for there because there's there's some controversy to talk about with the dingoes. Mm -hmm. And that controversy starts... And I didn't realize it was this early, but the controversy starts on the 9th of December, 1933. Or at least it's the earliest recording version of this. Three girls went missing near Mount Kutha in Queensland. Now, Margaret Fraser, who was 14, Dorothy Fraser, who was 12, and Joyce Olive James, 14, went for a hike at Wynnum. Residents of the area expressed concern that there was a large number of dingoes in the area known to attack calves, you know, baby cattle. The girls- and a calf is a, uh, is a lot bigger and a lot sturdier than a little girl. Mm-hmm. The girls told their parents they were going to a fate, but instead walked out into the Australian bush on a hike. Because that's what you do. I cannot understand Joyce doing a thing like this. She has everything she wants at home and has never talked of going hiking before, said Mrs. W.H. James, the mother of one of the girls yesterday. On Saturday, she said the girl told her that she was going to the fete with Margaret and Dorothy Fraser and would be home for tea before going to a local picture theatre where they will see a talkie, which is where this voice comes from. The other two girls were late in coming, said Mrs. James, and she offered to go with Joyce to the fete. There was a massive search. They had policemen digging around in the bush in the dark. Some of them fell down ravines and actually did themselves some real damage looking for these girls. However, as is the way of all teenagers, the girls were found two days later having spent the weekend in an empty house, probably boozing and sexing it up. No, 12 and 14, that's not right. They're probably just boozing it up. It was the 1930s. That's I don't want to know what they're up to. <laughs> they were in a empty house for two yep. days. Something definitely happened. That's all I'm saying now. Ghost or aliens, probably. <laughs> uh, but uh, obviously, this didn't result in the death of these girls, but it did create, it started to create a myth. It's the paranoia. Yeah, it's the paranoia of, I mean, you're talking about, again, when we talk about 1933, uh, white, like Australia was not forgiving to white settlers. Australia is not a forgiving country and we've had to transform it to make ourselves comfortable. And even still, 
it's not that comfortable sometimes. I um, mean, even the First Nations people, when they rocked up, they made a few ecological changes to the area. Like their mm. fire stick farming did a lot of damage and changed a lot of the botany in mm. the area. Yeah, because species that needed fire to germinate became more prevalent yes. because there was more fire. We've always adapted Australia a little bit, a white settlers to the point where, where it's sort of gone way out of control. Uh, but that being said... White settlers were afraid of the bush. They were afraid of everything in it. They were afraid of the noise of it. They were afraid of, you know, they were constantly hot. They were wearing old Victorian clothing. Layers in, and layers in, and layers. In like 40 degree heat, like degree Celsius for our American fans. It's it's just fucking insanity. And so anything that could pose any sort of threat was ramped up in everyone's minds. It felt like a, a little bit of a tit-for-tat thing, like Australia fought, so the whites fought back. So Australia fought back, and then yeah. we just kept fighting. It's, it's this war between, you know- <laughs> Australia and the continent. <laughs> a, a f- essentially foreign invaders and a continent and Mother Nature herself, and they're just going back and forth and back and forth, and everyone's fucking miserable. <laughs> In 1980, Azaria Chamberlain was attacked at Uluru and her mother went through hell trying to get people to listen to her. Now, of course, I won't go into much detail here because we have an entire podcast, episode 15, for this. But this 100% solidified the idea that dingoes were a tame animal and there was no way that uh, Lindy Chamberlain did not kill her child. Yeah, it's weird. You know, you start with, like, the idea of uh, dingo disappearances and then... Because people wanted to crucify Lindy Chamberlain, they flipped it. Dogs are fine. Dingoes yeah. are fine. They're just puppies. Dingoes like- are great. They're, 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 they'll never hurt you. Everything's fine. And she's a murderer and she deserves to go to prison. But 60 years later, it changes there was a again. pack of dogs. <laughs> so this, you know, now we go to 1998 and we now flip it mm-hmm. once again, where people are like, no, the dingoes are responsible. <laughs> Well, see, these are Fraser Island dingoes. They're a lot different to regular dingoes, Matthew. Don't you know the difference? <sighs> I don't think people know the difference because there is, there no, is no difference. difference. Yeah. In 1988, the first well-documented attack of a dingo on Fraser Island made the news. Between 1996 and 2001, 279 dingo incidents were reported on Fraser Island, with 39 classified as major or catastrophic incidents. They killed some. So they've killed kids. Yes, they yeah. have. And they've attacked but, adults. But now let's make this is the shark argument again, and this is probably why I sh- the, this is why I've saved this for this, I guess. Okay, that's their home. Mm-hmm. Fraser Island is for it, it, it's the dingoes lived there long before the white yeah, guy showed up. It, it's for before anyone showed up. It, it's their home, their territory, their animals. Respect should be given. And when parents, and I'm sorry, parents who are listening to this show, but part of this is kind of your fault, the bad parents anyway, if you let your kid go wandering into the bush unsupervised and they come across a pack of dingoes, that animal does not give a shit about your feelings. That animal goes, that is a small creature. I'm hungry. It's a good prey I'm going to take it down. Mm. And that's exactly what happens. Not only that, but because children are not educated about the bush and the animals that live therein confuse the animal for a domestic dog Mm -hmm. because they're not being taught properly and they're not being supervised, which puts them into a situation where they're being hurt. And so the answer to this is not to educate children better or take more responsibility for your child, but instead to kill 
50 fucking dingoes. And it drives me insane. It's the easier option. Then people have to take responsibility. Exactly right. And it pisses me right the fuck off because it is not, it's the fact that, like you just said, it's the easiest option for people not to take responsibility for the education and supervision of their children. We need to respect the world that we live in, not fight against it all the time. And there are some things in this world that we should, we shouldn't, it's almost like someone walking into your home and then rifling through your things. Yeah. Right. And you go, excuse me, you can't just rifle through all my things. Well, you invited me into your home, so I'm going to rifle through your things. No, we do the exact same thing to Mother Nature. Mother Nature goes, I've put these dingoes on this island. They're happy without your intervention. Leave them alone. Don't come near them and everything will is fine. But I want to touch the dingo. Well, you can't because it's going to eat you. But I really want to touch it. Well, it's going to fucking eat you. Well, if it eats me, I'm going to kill it. Pretty much, yeah. I throw my hands up. Like, it, it drives me insane. But it, this is now causing a lot of problems because, um, in my opinion, uh, the dingo is a native Australian species. On April 30, 2001, nine-year-old Clinton Gage was attacked and killed by dingoes on Fraser Island. Both the incident and the subsequent culling of 31 dingoes, way and truly overboard, proved the case against sharks was more human nature than actual solution. When we get in their space and they fight back, kill a few dozen to assert dominance. So, <laughs> why ca- so, so the, uh, this is a stupid fucking idea that people have in their heads as well. Oh, if they get a taste for human blood, they're going to come after us exclusively. No, they're not. It's Predi- very rare that that actually happens. Predators are opportunistic killers. Like, they, if they had a choice between, let's say that there's a cow on the ground bleeding out, laying down, and a human standing next to it fully capable of fighting back, an animal will generally wait for the human to fuck off and they'll go eat the cow. Yeah. Right. That's that's how predators work. Predators need to work. They have- The most amount of energy taken for yeah. the least amount spent. It's an equation because if you spend energy- eating something, then you're going to have to get more energy plus the energy you've just spent to eat the thing. Now, a dingo's natural instinct is to eat a small animal. We are still animals. We belong to the yeah, animal fleshy kingdom. things. So why, like when they say, oh, we need to cull them because they got a taste for human blood. No, they didn't. They did exactly what they're designed to do, which, and, and killing 31 of them. The, what's overboard. the point? So overboard. Yeah. Like, it, that feels like the entire pack plus puppies. You know, whereas, and once again, humans are really bad at assigning blame. It was the parents' fault for leaving their not what nine-year-old nine. child, nine-year-old child unsupervised in the bush. Let let's take dingoes out of the equation. Some of the most venomous spiders on the planet are in Australia. Snakes. Some of the most venomous snakes are both in the water and on the fucking land. We've already covered kangaroos. Not to mention. Falling over and breaking bones, getting trapped for in trees, spiking yourself on sharp fucking sticks hanging out in trees. Like, I don't get it. I just don't understand that. And and again, what it comes down to is there are some people out there, and I, I, I know I'm being incredibly didactic and I apologize because this is meant to be an entertaining show, not a didactic show. But there are so many people out there that if they're slightly made uncomfortable- and in this case, there's an extreme amount of uncomfortability being murdered by the environment around you. 
instead of realizing that there are things that we shouldn't touch, we shouldn't play with, that we should stay away from, our our immediate instinct is to murder the fuck out of it. And I, it pisses me off. It's like if your six-year-old burns his hand on the stove and you burn the house down in retribution. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly right. Like, you know, a, a kid gets bitten by a dingo, so we're going to wipe out an entire species. A kid burns their, their hand on the stove. You don't see a bunch of Karens running around trying to get stoves removed from every household. And that's the, and there is no difference between those two things. The, it, it's, more, it's more annoying that your kid burns their hand on the oven because you've brought that into your house and that's part of your natural environment. Then a dingo attacking a child. Tr- like, anyway, I'll leave it at that. It just makes me angry. Don't worry. You're not the only person who was made angry. This incident led to residents of Fraser Island registering an outcry, insisting that the dingoes were not dangerous under normal conditions and the cull was overreacting. Much like shark attacks on Australian beaches, this dingo attack had only a small impact on tourists to the island and fences were suggested to separate the dogs from the people. Some tourists reported even feeling safer thanks to the added presence of more rangers on the island after the incident. And see, the thing about a ranger too, like the the rangers who are out there, uh, if a dingo starts approaching a group, the ranger doesn't pull out their rifle and start shooting people. Uh, sorry, which <laughs> they, don't they do should. That <laughs> the the ranger doesn't pull out its rifle and start shooting dingoes. It, it informs, okay, it's time to move away now. They're coming out. And they appear hostile, so we're going to slowly Just move away. away. Just walk away. If you understand an animal's behaviour, they're generally not going to. That people only get attacked generally by animals because they don't understand them. And if you don't understand them, you shouldn't be near them anyway. Oh, I was a fishing and crocodile bit my leg, so we need to kill fifteen of them. You shouldn't have been fishing in crocodile-infested waters. <sighs> <laughs> Matthew's just going to give up and run away, and like. I give up at this point. In November 2012, rangers on Fraser Island killed a six-month-old dingo named Inky because of his aggressive behaviour towards people. Rangers tried to trap Inky for over a month before he could actually be caught, at which point he was euthanized. These decisions are not taken lightly, and thorough assessment of the number and type of incidents and level of aggression is taken into account. It appears this dingo had become habituated and lost its fear of people. Unfortunately, that is when these dangerous incidents can occur. That comes from what led to Fraser Island Dingo Inky's death. But again, he didn't have to die. People just needed to stay away from the island. He could have been relocated. Yeah. Soon after Inky's death, his brother Byron was also euthanized by rangers, though he was not recorded as causing anywhere near as much trouble as his brother, so we don't actually know why he was euthanized. Whether or not it's just someone overreaching and deciding, hey, let's kill the entire fucking pack, Mm. because that's not something that's happened before. Now, this very last story uh, that we're going to talk about when it comes to human attacks led to an extreme amount of vindication for Lindy Chamberlain. Mm -hmm. This was her I told you so moment. On April 18, 2019, a 14-month-old boy was attacked on Fraser Island, dragged out of the camper where he and his family slept. Now, this incident absolutely gives more credence to Linda Chamberlain's story of almost 40 years before because it proves that, yeah, the dingo will not only take the baby, but it will sneak into a tent or a camper van or whatever it needs to to get to them. 
Two dingoes have dragged a sleeping toddler from a camper trailer on Fraser Island off Queensland's coast. The boy suffered a fractured skull, two deep lacerations to the back of his neck and head, and several minor lacerations to the back of his scalp. It obviously picked him up by the back of the neck. Yeah. Now I have a question here. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they lock the camper trailer door? Because why they're only they, puppies. Why did they leave it open? Or ajar. According to some of the reports, the dogs actually climbed in underneath the canvas, so they obviously hadn't pe- pegged down the edge of the tarp properly. Have you ever been camping when a pack of wild dogs come around? No, but because of the property that my parents own, I have st- stood in the bus that we use as a camper and watched a pack of kangaroos go through the campsite. Okay, so not even close. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> I have. They, it's scary. Mm. Yeah, I was in a tent. And they circled around, sniffed around at the tent, and then kept moving on. It was, yeah. Are they going to eat me? (laughs) You do feel like that, yeah, a little bit. Um, Again, if you take proper precautions and respect the natural environment that you were camping in, uh, you're not going to have any problems. If you're an idiot and you make mistakes, you're going to have problems. It's as simple simple as that. Mm -hmm. It's It's as simple as that. The Americans who leave all their food laying around and, and then the bear comes through. Bear. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, kill the bears. No, you left food out and you encouraged it in your campsite and it ate you. That's your fault. The majority of dingo attacks in Australia take place on Fraser Island, where dingoes live in close proximity to humans. I looked up the population. There's 182 permanent residents on Fraser Island. So in my opinion, the best thing that you could do in order to lower the attack rate on Fraser Island is to get all the fucking humans off it. <laughs> Solved. <laughs> Now, to end out the podcast, I've got two questions that I'd like to pose. Well, they're not really questions, they're more points of thought. Have we learned nothing from our relentless campaign to wipe out the Tasmanian tiger? The dingo may not be as confined in their habitat as the island-dwelling marsupial was, but it's still a large piece of the local ecology. Aside from keeping the numbers of kangaroos as low as possible- They're only natural predators. Aside from cars, yes. And eliminating feral animals, the dingo cleans up carry-on and doesn't primarily feed on farm animals. They don't even seem to like the taste of them. The only danger that dingoes pose to humans is that when taken in pro- close proximity, the permanent population of Fraser Island is less than 200 people, so move them off the island and let the dingoes have it. Boom, no more attacks. This is about as likely as people no longer swimming in the sea to avoid shark attacks, so I'm not really all that uh, hopeful that this will become a solution that's picked mm. up a lot. But I want to return to the idea of what we did to the Tasmanian tiger. Yeah. A bounty was put out. The Tasmanian tiger was hunted because it hunted down farm animals. The Tasmanian tiger no longer exists. Yep. People are trying to do this to the fucking dingo because they don't want them to attacking their cattle or their children, not realising that either it's A, their fault for letting their children roam around, or B, dingoes aren't really after your animals anyway. Mm. Yep. So that's my first point. (laughs) It's a good point. If we're happy to slaughter 30 dingoes in retribution for an attack on a nine-year-old, does that mean the dingo is as common as the red kangaroo and it doesn't matter if we shoot them? Now, the answer to this question depends on how you view the dingo. Is it a pest that invaded the ecosystem or a native animal? And this is a genuine issue where how, well, okay, I'll put it to you. Let's let's add some perspective to Mm -hmm. this, okay? So people will turn around and say, no, it's a foreign animal that's been here for, you know, it came across with other people and that's, and it set up shop in in Australia. It's an introduced species. Fair enough. Okay. Let's agree to that point. They predate European settlers in Australia. 
and by we two thousand years, and we call this our home. And I consider myself an Australian. What's the difference? We even talk funny. We're naturalised humans living in Australia. So they predate us. The Australian government considers dingoes a local animal based on the criteria that it was here before 1400 AD, which was the first recorded instance of Europeans finding Australia. I don't remember any instances of them finding it any earlier than that. So 1400 is possibly the earliest that rats ever landed on Australia. At least recorded because, you know, they've found like Chinese pottery. Yeah, they've found Chinese pottery, which predates it. Trade always happened in uh, the North End. Yeah, Australia was a, I mean, look, you're going to pull over and stop if you see a nice bit of, you know, campsite, aren't you? Or you're hungry or you're thirsty and you need some water. To this end, it is protected in all government land. You cannot hunt or kill a dingo on Crown land at all under any circumstance. And th- those are our national parks. That is the Australian government law. Yeah. Then we fall down into state level. And I know Matthew fucking hates state level government for many, many reasons. Yeah, this is you, one of them. If you want to know why, like, just listen to our episode on Federation to see how silly, like, state law can be. The Australian Capital Territory Government, however, here in Canberra, classifies the dingo as a pest and thus it is exempt from protection within Crown lands on ACT borders. That's so funny because the ACT is like one of the most progressive states in the country. And yet they want to shoot the dingoes. Yeah, they want to shoot dingoes. That doesn't make any sense to me. They they have great environmental campaigns. We literally, the, you can go to the Canberra Zoo, the mm-hmm. National Zoo and, and see Aquarium. A pack. And see a pack of dingoes. Tan ones, so they're not black ones, they're tan ones. Right. Every time I, that's the one thing Holly always stops at because she's like, I want the doggies. And I'm like, they're not dogs, Holly. (laughs) In surrounding New South Wales. So you're the people like you are the problem. But I'm smart enough to read a dog's body language. You're also smart enough not to approach a dingo in the wild. Yes, that is true. If they're behind a fence, that's fine. In the surrounding New South Wales territories, the dingo is an unprotected fauna, which actually might be why the ACT lets them run free. In the west of the state, it is lawful to destroy any wild dogs on your lands, be they dingoes or ferals, and any dingoes or part dingoes need a permit to be kept as pets as part of the Wild Dog Destruction Act of 1921. In the eastern part of the state, however, dingoes are classed only as dogs and can be kept as pets with no special permission whatsoever under the Companion Animals Act in 1998. So what's interesting about this is that uh, when I crossed the border to do my day job, mm-hmm. right, I would have to have a permit if I had a, do- a dingo in my backseat. However, if I cross back over the border, I can have a dingo in my backseat and call it a dog. Because we're on the east of the Be- New South Wales, yep. yeah. The dingo has been proposed for listing under the Threatened Species Conservation Act because it is argued that these dogs had established populations before the arrival of Europeans, but no decision has been made because that would mean a lot of people would no longer have a target to shoot. All around Australia, this pattern continues. No state or territory can decide if the dingo is an endangered species or a pest to be eradicated. Because of all of these conflicting declarations, it's impossible to put the dingo into a preservation status. And thus, crossbreeds, hybrids, and part dingoes continue to grow while the pure-blooded dingo falls into decline and will eventually end up the way of the fucking thylacine. Quite probably, except that... At least when it comes okay. to like crossbreeding me, and stuff like that. that, you end yep. up with different canids. I'm going to change that. It's going to become more like the Aboriginal population in that its ancestry will be watered down by each successive generation. Yeah, exactly right. And you'll end up. Um, actually, I don't want to touch your no, last. We're just going to leave that, it there. Yeah. We're not going to elaborate on it. I'm not going to say anything. And we're going to keep walking because yeah, I feel that there's controversy. That was writing a line, so we're just going to keep walking now. <laughs> 
I'm going to leave that one with you and we'll see if you get any uh, any pushback on that one. Uh, that is pretty much what I think we'll wrap up the podcast there with um, a shout out to our fret care. It's an, <laughs> it's a Holly's long. like, it's an hour and 11 For an animal minutes. profile, this is a fucking long one. There's a yeah. lot of ranting there's, in the middle of it. Of, there's a lot to talk about. It's an interesting species and an interesting case study. Um, that's why uh, we do have our friends at Dingo Den. Um, I'm a firm believer in the work that they're doing. Uh, they're making sure that they're finding, you know, purebred dingoes. You can sponsor a dingo. You can sponsor a little puppy. Yeah. And they've just got, I think they've just had another litter of puppies because you can find them on Instagram, Dingo Den. I haven't looked at them recently, but I'm going to have a look at them yeah, now. Yeah, you're going to have a look, look at the, the puppies. puppies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we Crap and Australia fans have supported them before. I'd highly encourage you to as well if you're a fan of the dingo species. Um, I firmly sit on the side of it is a native species and needs to be protected. It's not a wild dog. It's not a dog. It's a, its own little species. It'd be like calling a wolf a dog then it's not a dog. You can try, but it'll only end one way. Yeah, it's like coy- calling a hyena a dog. It's not a dog. No, it's a, a canine. It's still a canine, but it's not a dog. It's not a dog. And so, yeah, I think uh, it's something that as well, the kangaroo population in Australia has no natural predators, generally speaking, except for the dingo. So, in my opinion, there actually should be more dingoes out in the bush, you know, eating kangaroos and then there's more of an ecological balance which is brought back to the country which the ecological balance in our country can sometimes completely be out of whack Um, and it's also about showing respect for the world that we live in and understanding that we're a part of it not the owners of it and learning lessons that we should have fucking learned in the 1930s yeah keep you look after your children in the bush bush safety is so it's one of those things that should be taught in schools especially bush schools i feel like we're going to have to do like two episodes one on bush tucker and two on uh surviving in the bush overnight if you need to i feel like if we lose our jobs that could be a job for us like we'll We'll call up schools and go hey we've done this podcast and we think we can we can teach some bush safety because it's fucking ridiculous like just the the absolute naivete of people, um, and sorry, city folk, I'm looking at you. If you know you you pack up your fancy camper van and go into the bush, <laughs> well, chances are that you don't know what you're doing and you're not prepared for it. That's why Mick Taylor and all the Wolf Creek films can easily kill all the people traveling out there because he's like, oh, all these city slickers <laughs> really don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're all idiots. They don't know what to do out here, and we can sort it out, et cetera, et cetera. You know, yeah, it's it's definitely a um. It, it's just like my advocacy for sharks and crocodiles and dingoes. The misunderstood predator category of Australia is pretty big. I still won't put snakes and spiders in there because fuck them. But the rest of them are still pretty big. You know, it's and, and even when it comes to snakes, you re, if you respect them and understand that- Do unto snakes as you would have them yeah. do unto you. Imagine if you scared someone that had a shotgun. They would shoot you because you've scared them and they're holding a shotgun. Yeah. A snake has a shotgun in its teeth and it will bite you if you get too close to it and scare it. That's why they rear up. And if you stay still and allow it to back away, it will walk away for it. It will slither away. It doesn't want anything to do with you. Once again, this comes down to the whole, I only have so much venom for me to use to take down my dinner. I cannot waste it on this big, massive thing unless it's going to kill me. Exactly. So, Yeah. Moral of this story is have respect for the world around you. You are a part of it. You do not own it. Keep an eye on your kids and don't pet the puppies. 
I'm sure all the weird crap in Australia listeners are good parents because we've scared the shit out of them already. Because we're up to like what? Between the family murders and the Beaumont children going missing and the dogs being, dogs killing children and all these (laughs) other things. If you're not like helicoptering the shit out of your parents, right? Of your kids right now, there is something wrong. Yeah. If we have not taught you to be terrified for your children at all seconds of the day, then we haven't done our jobs. So that is the tale of the dingo. And like I said, another quick shout out, Dingo Den. They do a lot of conservation when it comes to protecting uh, native dingo populations. So if you have a chance, shoot them a couple of dollars when you feel like doing a charitable donation to a charity. They're a good one. Dingoden.net. Yes. Not uh, sponsored at all. <laughs> now, no, they're not. Um, um, you found them because when the reason that we, we basically, we picked three charities when we were helping with some bushfire appeals, rural fire service for obvious reasons. They're volunteer bushfires who are out there risking their lives. Um, second charity was the Australian Red Cross uh, because they have they were helping with feeding and, you know, clothing. Supplies and, and stuff. All of that sort of stuff. A um, lot of controversy with the Red Cross and yeah, how they've used that money, but that. we won't get into it. And then, of course, our we wanted to also help um, animal populations. Um, Kangaroo. Wombat, uh, koalas the, had so many yeah. people looking after them. I'm like, I'm not doing a koala. The, <laughs> the koalas and the wombats had so much support. So Holly sort of looked afield and found Dingo Den and we we're like, you know, we can help these because these guys are just not going to get as much coverage just because of the controversial nature of our relationship with the dingo itself. So Dingo Den does some amazing work. Again, big shout out to them. And if you um, if you have a few spare dollars, shoot them their way. Now I'm going to plug all the shit where we need your dollars. <laughs> now you're giving them money. Give us money. <laughs> See, it's not always me. So a uh, couple of ways you can support our work and what we've been doing. Um, one of those ways that people have liked to support us, and I'm happy to, to do this as well. Uh, every now and again, we'll get a message saying, oh, you know, we I don't like doing Patreon, but I'm always happy to do one-off donations to keep you guys going. Um, if you if you fall into that category, and a few people have, and we love you guys for it, we love all of the people who contribute to the show, and we love all you guys who are listening to the show, just by listening to the ads at the front of it, you're helping to keep us going and, and buying the research material and doing what we need to do. So you can do a one-off Patreon donation. Uh, that's weirdcrapinaustralia at gmail.com. You can put that into your uh, your uh, Patreon send and it will shoot us across the money. Um, if you are going to do that though, please shoot us a message so we can thank you for your donation. Uh, don't don't just start sending us random uh, PayPal, uh, Patreon, sorry. Don't send us random PayPal donations without attributing yourself to them so that we can thank you. Because we believe in thanking our fans and answering fan emails. It's one of, it, when we first started doing this, it was one of my thing, it was my rock where I was like, I don't care if, it gonna, if we get so many emails that would take me a hundred years to answer them all. That's what we do. And it especially applies to PayPal donations as well. If you do donate to us via PayPal, please make sure you let us know so that we can have a conversation with you and thank you in person because uh, it's something that I firmly believe in. If you're supporting our work, you deserve to get some recognition for that. Another way you can support the show is by Patreon. Uh, when you We have a couple of different tiers of Patreon support. Uh, each of those tiers has their own little bonuses. Um, if you're chucking us a few dollars, like uh, $5, for example, uh, you get a exclusive Patreon 
mini-sode where we look at the weirdest headlines that come out of Australian popular media and we discuss them. Sometimes the stupidest. Uh, this last week, well, two weeks previous from when you guys are actually hearing this, we looked at, we actually revisited a story where we were like, what the fuck were they thinking? And then they've re- decided to redo the design and now we're like, yeah, we fucking told you yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually very interesting, that story. Um, those mini episodes, that's where we take sort of these headlines that we think will probably make us that may not have enough legs to be a full episode. Yeah. Um, so that's just a little exclusive we shoot out to our Patreon uh, donors. Um, and, of course, with uh, the the higher up in the tier you go, the, the different things we have available. Um, and, of course, Patreon supporters help us to buy the research material to go into episodes just like this one. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a big thing as well. Uh, another thing, people often ask us, you know, about merchandise. Uh, easiest way to get yourself some weird crap in Australia merch is to head to Redbubble. No, weirdcrapinoz.redbubble.com. Uh, what we do with redbubble.com, we upload our designs and then those designs, you pick your product- T-shirts, drink coaster, uh, you can get wall art. uh, (laughs) Blankets. Blankets, all sorts of different things. Uh, We send them the design. You select your product, select the design you want, and then you can get your thing. Um, It's the easiest way to get everyone T-shirts, and they're actually very reasonably priced, and the T-shirts are actually quite comfortable. I own a few myself. Uh, So that's uh, how you can get yourself some weird crap in Australian merchandise. And last but not least, I mentioned this at the head of the podcast, Weird Crap in Australia, Volume 1, is available for sale uh, both digitally on Amazon.com and physical copies from Lulu.com as well. If you buy a physical copy, don't forget to shoot us an email to weirdcrapinaustralia at gmail.com and we will make sure that we get you out a signature sticker that you can put into the cover um, and as Holly said, we'll we'll give that for about four months. Once once we hit Christmas this year, we'll stop doing it. Um, so make sure if you want that autograph that you email us as soon as possible uh, so that we can add you to the list and shoot that out to you. Free of charge. We're not going to charge your postage. We're not going to charge you for the sticker. We just want to send that out to you as a thank you uh, for buying a physical copy of the book. And if you live in the Canberra, Queanbeyan region, we will also be happy to meet with you in person as long as we're all COVID safe and uh, we'll sign that book for you in person. Or you can buy the book, hold on to it and hope you'll see us one day too. That's an option as well. I mean, if it's anything like the the copy that I've got that I was doing using as a proof, it might end up a bit rat tail before you can actually yeah. come and talk to us. <laughs> and if you'd like to keep the conversation going, you can do it on our social media platforms. You can find us on Twitter. We are Weird Crap Oz AUS. You can find us on Facebook, Weird Crap in Australia. You can find us also on Instagram under the same name and shoot that email through to weirdcrapinaustralia at gmail.com. If, uh, one thing I'd like to see after this episode if you have a pet dingo or hybrid dingoes, I'd love to see those photos <laughs> or, or your personal stories about dingoes as well. Shoot those through to us on the social media. Or if you have a kid and you've shown them that part of the podcast, if they're standing out in the backyard oh, looking up waiting that. for yeah. a puppy, like, yeah, that yeah. would be awesome too. Show, show me all your kids holding <laughs> nets. That'd be, uh, that'd be absolute. <laughs> Hunting to catch puppies. <laughs> yeah, that'd be just wonderful. We'll have, we'll have puppy hunters out there everywhere. And you never know. They may just catch one. (laughs) 
Stranger things have happened. <laughs> well, that's it for the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. As we do every week, I will hand it, hand it off to Holly to see us out the door. Now, see, I was thinking something like a dingo stalk we might have to do with like a T-shirt or something. We could actually. That's a good <laughs> the idea. Dingo stalk. <laughs> uh, Ignacio listens every week. There you go, Ignacio. Do us a T-shirt for a dingo stalk. <laughs> I'm very curious as to what you can come up with with that one. And that's all I've got. <laughs> We will see you next time for more weird crap in Australia. Bye, Bye. for now. This has been a production of The Modern Meltdown. For more podcasts just like it, head to themodernmeltdown.net.